We all have our smartphones, smart cars, and our new smarter lives. But what if all this technology is making us forget about how it may affect others who don't have the means to live the way we do or have the things we do? One man goes too far and finds out the hard way what could happen if you get too wrapped up in technology. So take time to put down your phone, go outside, help your neighbor or someone in need, because even a smart life isn't gremlin-proof. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing gremlins, devious little creatures bent on sabotage of technology. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully the more monsters we can explore. If you'd like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Sky's alarm went off at 5 a.m. on the dot every morning, accompanied by the lights coming on in the bedroom. His coffee would begin pouring into his favorite mug at approximately the same time, so it would be ready and waiting for him. He would pull on his robe and head to the kitchen where every light would come on as he entered each room, and then go off behind him. After retrieving his cup of coffee, he would sit down in his recliner in the sunroom, and his favorite wake-up music would start playing from the speakers positioned strategically throughout the house. He would relax and watch the news as it played across the screen of the TV, reading the subtitles so as not to interrupt the music. At exactly 5.30 a.m., the TV would go off and he would rinse his coffee cup and head to the bathroom, where the shower was already pouring water at the perfect temperature for him. Next, after finishing his shower, he would walk over to the bedroom closet, where his work clothes were arranged in order by days of the week on a computerized revolving rack. Everything was computerized, or as we like to say nowadays, smart. He merely had to move or speak to operate anything in his home. His house was programmed to feel like it could read his mind and emotions. Once he was ready for his day, he would get in his smart car and head to work without the stress of being late. The car started automatically with the remote he held in his hand, and it had the perfect route planned for him before he ever shut the door. He had one of the newest, top-of-the-line cars that was electric and ran on autopilot. But this is the one thing he refused to give up. He preferred to steer on his own. He used only the GPS to ensure he took the quickest route every day. The building where his office was located was built and wired with the same technology as his home. There was no need for security guards at the entrance or a receptionist. Everything was computer screens and voice recognition. The only security guards were hidden in a room full of cameras that oversaw every inch of the building. On the outside, the building was unremarkable. 
as it was intended to keep the business that went on inside at a level of the highest confidentiality. The parking lot was underground as well. From what anyone on the outside could tell, it was just a large office building, nothing special. But on the inside, some of the world's leading tech experts were constantly creating new ways to make life easier. And behind some of the locked doors of research labs, things went on that even the government didn't know about. You see, for the right amount of money, you can convince just about any power in the world to look the other way. Sky was the owner and leader of the most powerful business in the world, and that made him the richest. Every project that Elon Musk had his name on, Sky was either a part of, or his company was years farther advanced. His most successful mission had been keeping all of this from the public eye. His dream was to change the world in a way that he could protect it from man while making mankind's life simpler and better, all without anyone knowing who had made these changes. In doing this, he would have to allow others to take the credit for every success. It gave him a godlike power, and this is the way he liked it. The office was quiet, except for the soft sound of Chopin's nocturne playing soothingly through the entire eighth floor. Most of the staff didn't arrive until eight, but Skye liked to get an early start, to assert his position of being ahead of everyone and therefore always in the lead. His office was locked, but the door swung open on command, and as he walked inside, the lights came on. He sat down at his desk, and his computer screen came to life. First up on the screen was his schedule of appointments for the day. It looked like it would be a busy one, for after his morning meeting, he had appointments every half hour for the rest of the day. There were corporations wanting help, and young researchers wanting to present their new ideas. But one appointment stood out amongst the others. There was a name that he recognized that was scheduled just before noon. It was Xiang Yu. Except the reason he recognized the name was that it had belonged to a Chinese warrior from the 16th century. Then it occurred to him that the name Xiang was familiar for another reason. It was the name of a company that they had purchased over a year ago. The company had been fully dependent on a labor force of over 800 people until they had purchased it and made it fully automated. Sky was curious about the meeting with this man and he looked forward to defending his corporation and their goals. The morning meetings were business as usual, and then Eleven rolled around, and his secretary informed him that Mr. Xiong had arrived. Sky told her to bring him in, and he straightened his collar as he waited for the door to open. His first look at Xiong Yu caught him off guard. He had expected a much younger man in business attire, Instead, a much older man walked through the office door. He looked at least 80 years old, maybe even 90. He had long white hair and a beard to match. He wasn't in a business suit, but what he wore looked more suited to a fish market owner in Chinatown. Sky half expected the odor of fish to follow him. He was carrying what looked very much like a plastic pet carrier. Mr. Xiong, Sky greeted him. Have a seat, please. Once the old man was seated, he continued. Sky watched the crate carefully as the man set it down beside the chair. 
What brings you here today? Mr. Xiong took a deep breath, as if he had so much to say, and was about to unload before beginning. You killed my son, he said matter-of-factly. Sky arched his eyebrows at the unexpected comment. You must be mistaken. I've never killed anyone. Not with your own hands, no, but with your money, Mr. Xiong replied dryly. Sky could see where this was going. He had dealt with angry business owners before. Their companies would sink deep into debt, and his would buy them out and take over. It came with the territory. He slid his foot across the button beneath his desk and let it hover there, ready to alert security if necessary. I'm sorry for your loss, Mr. Xiong, he began, but the old man interrupted him. I believe that a debt is owed, and therefore I bring you a gift, he said as he reached down towards the crate. Sky was confused. If the man blamed him for his son's death, why on earth would he give him a gift? The hairs on the back of his neck began to stand on end. Words sometimes had a double meaning, and he felt like this was the case. He was about to object when he heard hissing and screeching coming from the crate as the man reached and opened it. Something small darted out. It was too fast for him to get a good look, but it appeared to be green and scaly. Sky was done with words. He stepped on the button, and in less than a minute, two armed security guards were in the office and had Mr. Xiong by the arms. They began dragging him out of the office even though he didn't resist. His only response was a laugh that seemed to grow louder as he disappeared through the door. Sky slumped into his chair just as he heard something scuttle across the room. He remembered the thing that Mr. Xiong had released from the crate as he looked around the room to locate it. It was nowhere in sight. He decided the best thing to do was to have his secretary call animal control before whatever it was did any damage. It may even be poisonous. It took animal control a full 30 minutes to arrive and they searched every nook and cranny of the office but found nothing. Thinking that it may have escaped, they searched the entire floor, but still found no sign of the creature. The idea of some wild animal loose in the office stressed Sky out more than Mr. Xiong had, so he canceled the rest of his meetings and called it a day. He grabbed his coat and headed to the elevator, with a sense that he was being followed the whole way. Once in the elevator, he felt more secure, but only for a moment as he could hear scratching sounds coming from the ceiling above him. He needed to get home and pour himself a stiff drink. That little old man had shook him more than he had realized. The elevator finally dinged and the scratching stopped, but as he made his way across the parking lot, he still had that feeling that he was being watched or followed, or both. When he rounded his car to open the driver's side door, he thought he saw something run underneath the car. He jumped, but then cursed himself for being a coward before dropping to his knees to look under the car. There was nothing there that he could see. He cursed himself again as he stood and dusted his pants off before climbing in behind the wheel and closing the door. 
releasing another long string of curse words as he banged his head on the roof of the car. Sky pressed the button to start it and turned on the navigational system. The day seemed to be going from bad to worse as he tried to set the GPS for the quickest route and the screen began to glitch before going dark. Finally giving up, he slammed the car into reverse and backed out of his parking spot. The drive took almost an hour longer than it should have because without the GPS, he was unable to avoid a wreck that had happened on the freeway. Sky loosened his tie as he waited in the traffic, trying to recall the man that he was accused of killing. Should he feel guilty for making a company more efficient and profitable? No, he decided. That was the way of the world, and people who didn't learn to evolve with technology would be left behind. That was on them, not him. As the wrecked vehicles were cleared from one lane, traffic began to move slowly through. He was almost past the crash site when he thought he heard something thumping around in the trunk of his car. He couldn't check it now. It would have to wait until he got home. Once he pulled into the drive, he pushed the garage door remote and the door was raised just in time for him to pull in. He popped the trunk with a button on the dash and stepped out of the car to investigate. He didn't remember leaving anything in the trunk, but he'd have to make sure. The trunk flew open before he could reach it, and he heard a light thump and then the skittering of small feet as something ran across the garage floor. Sky stopped and grabbed one of his golf clubs from his staff bag leaning against the garage wall. He held it back like a ball bat as he crept around to the back of the car, but he saw nothing. He kept the driver raised as he worked his way around the car and to the door leading into the house. When he finally stepped into the kitchen, the lights instantly came on and Mozart began playing softly. He shut the door quickly, hoping that whatever was in the garage would remain there until he could call animal control and get them out there. He locked the door and punched the security code into the panel that controlled every aspect of his home. Laying the driver down on the kitchen counter, he took off his already loose tie and jacket and began unbuttoning his shirt. It was getting difficult to breathe. He grabbed up the discarded clothing and headed to his bedroom, but as he exited the kitchen and entered the den, Mozart stopped and was replaced by the Foo Fighters' Monkey Wrench. It was so loud he had to cover his ears. This music is what he listened to in high school before he replaced it with music that was more refined to his lifestyle. It wasn't even on his playlist. Siri! Sky yelled, Lower the volume! The music began to fade to a bearable level, and he continued to his bedroom. When he walked through the door, the same thing happened again. The volume shot up, and Basket Case by Green Day filled the room. Again, he yelled for Siri to lower the volume. As the volume lowered, he ran his fingers through his hair, opened the closet door, and stepped inside. He hung his jacket and tie, and then removed his shirt and pants and replaced them with a robe. He turned to leave the closet, but the door slammed in his face. His heart rate was beginning to escalate. He was scared, frustrated, 
and becoming angry. He tried the door handle, but it wouldn't budge. Siri, unlock the closet door, he yelled. The door quickly unlocked with a faint clicking sound, and he stepped out and looked around the room. He was going to take a nice hot shower, but that would have to wait. He needed to get into the programming of the control panel and see what was going on, and he still needed to call animal control. As he walked through the house, the lights began flashing and beat to Lincoln Park in the end. When he reached the control panel, he touched the screen and it lit up, asking for his passcode. He typed it in, but it didn't work. He typed it in two more times and it still didn't work. The screen read, you have entered invalid credentials. Sky was starting to think he may be losing it when something ran over his bare feet and scratched him across both ankles. He jumped and then slowly looked down and saw three scratches on each side, with blood slowly beginning to trickle out. He grabbed the paper towels from their place on the kitchen counter and dabbed at his feet, keeping a watch all around him for the creature that he now knew for sure had made it into his house. Once the bleeding had stopped, he went to his room and grabbed his cell phone and dialed 911. The operator answered and he told her as little as possible for the sake of not sounding crazy. He told her that there was a wild animal loose in his house and that it was dangerous. The lady on the other end of the line promised to send someone out immediately. She wanted him to stay on the line, but he had to call someone from work to help him with the control panel as well. He could do it on his own if he was at the office, but not from here. He dialed the office and got a hold of his lead computer programmer, Jerry, and ordered him to come out as quickly as possible. This whole system has gone berserk, he told him. It's almost as if it's possessed. Jerry promised to drop everything and head that way. Skye didn't want to wait inside the house with whatever this thing was. It could be hiding anywhere, waiting to attack again. He headed to the front door with the intention of waiting on the front steps of his house. But when he reached the front door, it was locked still. Siri, unlock the front door, he ordered. But nothing happened. The door remained locked. Temporarily defeated, Skye went to the living room sat down on the sofa with his cell phone in his lap and waited. As he sat there, he could feel the temperature in the room quickly rising. The AC should have been on, but instead the room was heating up. He sat there as the house began to feel like a sauna, with the rock music blaring, and waited. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. 
or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A gremlin is a clever mythical creature that was created at the start of the 20th century to explain problems with aircraft and later with other equipment, processes, and people who use them. Various representations of these creatures exist. According to legend, gremlins taught humans how to build machines, sparking an invention boom and the Industrial Revolution. But people didn't acknowledge or even recognize these little creatures. Since then, gremlins have frequently sabotaged human-made machinery out of resentment for humans' lack of gratitude resulting in malfunctions and disasters, sometimes with catastrophic consequences. Gremlins are widely characterized as being small humanoid elves who dress in feathered caps, sharp shoes, and double-breasted red or green frock coats. The skin tones range from green to yellow to pink to red. Gremlins are more ominous in other portrayals made by other artists. They have hairy bodies, big pointed ears, flashing red eyes and horns. According to additional tales, gremlins have nude gray skin, vaguely reptile features, and large mouths with pointed teeth. According to some sources, gremlins resemble bull terriers, jackrabbits, or a hybrid of the two. They are allegedly made of smoke or mist in some instances. Some stories claim that gremlins had merfolk characteristics including webbed hands and feet and fins. According to some reports, gremlins have wings like bats. Several sizes are also described. Gremlins are supposed to range in height from just six inches to as much as three feet tall. Occasionally, it's claimed that they have large feet with suction cups on the bottoms of them, or even leather shoes with hooks, which would allow them to walk or hang upside down on the outside of airplanes. During and after World War II, they were especially well-known as the subject of tales and references, as the origins of especially puzzling technical and psychological issues that pilots experienced. Gremlin, an unknown mischievous sprite that was blamed for anything that went wrong with an aircraft. The Gremlins have been at it again. The phrase was initially used in the slang of the Royal Air Force among British pilots stationed in Malta the Middle East, and India in the 1920s. An early mention of the gremlin appears in the 1938 book, The ATA, Women with Wings by Aviator Pauline Gower, in which Scotland is referred to as gremlin country, a mythical and inhospitable region 
where scissor-wielding gremlins would cut the wires of biplanes when unaware pilots were nearby. The appearance of gremlins is also covered in an article by Hubert Griffith, published in the twice-monthly Royal Air Force Journal on April 18, 1942. Even though the article claims the tales have been around for a while, and that Battle of Britain's Spitfire pilots first mentioned them in 1940. The Royal Air Force troops, especially the members of the high-altitude photographic renaissance units of RAF Benson, RAF Wick, and RAF St. Evil, were responsible for popularizing the idea of gremlins during World War II. The flight crews blamed gremlins for sometimes unpredictable incidents that happened during their missions. Gremlins were once believed to have sympathies with the enemy, but research showed that enemy aircraft also experienced comparable and equally puzzling technical issues. Because of this, gremlins were presented as equal opportunity tricksters who acted out their mischief for their own self-interest rather than picking a side in the war. The gremlins were actually a method of buck-passing or shifting responsibility. John Hazen wrote as a result of this, the gremlin has been looked upon as novel phenomenon, a product of the machine era, the age of air. According to author and historian Marlon Bressy, the idea of gremlins as a scapegoat was crucial to the morale of pilots. Gremlins, while imaginary, played a very important role to the airmen of the Royal Air Force. Gremlin tells helped build morale among pilots, which in turn helped them repel the Luftwaffe invasion during the Battle of Britain during the summer of 1940. The war may have had a very different outcome if the RAF pilots had lost their morale and allowed Germany's plans for Operation Sea Lion to develop. In a way, it could have been argued that gremlins, troublesome as they were, ultimately helped the Allies win the war. Bressy also noted morale among the RAF pilots would have suffered if they had pointed the finger of blame at each other. It was far better to make the scapegoat a fantastic and comical creature than another member of your own squadron. Outside of the British Air Force, the gremlins are also linked to British author Roald Dahl. He would have been familiar with the legend, having served in the Middle East with 80 Squadron of the Royal Air Force. Dahl had his own experience when he accidentally crash-landed his aircraft after running out of fuel in the western desert. He was relocated to Washington, D.C. in January 1942 to serve as the British Embassy's assistant air attaché. He created the Gremlins, tiny men who lived on RAF fighters, in his debut children's book, the Gremlins, there. In the same book, Dahl referred to the Gremlins' wives as Fifinellas, their male offspring as Widgets, and their female offspring as Fiverty Gibbets. Sidney Bernstein, the chief of the British Intelligence Agency, had the notion to transmit Dahl's completed book to Walt Disney after seeing it. When Disney received the screenplay in July 1942, he thought about utilizing it as the basis for a live-action animated full-length feature film and offered Dahl a contract. Characters were roughed out and storyboards were made while the movie project underwent a transformation into an animated feature. Disney was successful in getting the tale printed in Cosmopolitan Magazine's December 1942 issue. A reworked version of the tale still named The Gremlins was released as a picture book by Random House in early 1943 at Dahl's request. 
Dark Horse Comics later revised it and reissued it in 2006. The Gremlins was published by Random House in 1943, with a print run of 50,000 copies. Dahl ordered 50 copies for himself to use as promotional materials for the upcoming movie and himself, giving them out to everyone he knew, including Lord Halifax, the British ambassador to Washington, and Eleanor Roosevelt, the First Lady of the United States, who read it to her grandchildren. With 30,000 more copies sold in Australia, the book was deemed a success on a global scale. Nevertheless, early attempts to republish the book were thwarted by a wartime paper scarcity. Dahl was seen as a writer of consequence after receiving favorable reviews in notable journals, and Hedda Hopper's columns noted his appearances in Hollywood in the wake of the film project. After being scaled back to an animated short, and ultimately abandoned in August 1943 due to an impasse over copyright and RAF rights. The film production was never finished. But primarily because of Disney, the tale received some notoriety, which aided in popularizing the idea. A nine-episode collection of quick silent stories with a gremlin Gus as its star was published in issues 33 through 41 of Walt Disney's comics and stories between June 1943 and February 1944. Vivi Risto created the first, while Walt Kelly created the rest. Since they are human gremlins that lived in their own town as tiny flying human beings, this served as their introduction to the comic book public. Many returning air servicemen claim to have witnessed creatures messing with their equipment, despite the fact that Roald Dahl is credited with popularizing gremlins. Before an engine failure prompted his B-25 Mitchell bomber to rapidly drop altitude and have to return to base, one crew member insisted he had seen one. Folklorist Hazen also provides his own purported eyewitness account of these creatures, which was published in a peer-reviewed academic journal. He describes a time when he discovered a parted cable which bore obvious tooth marks in spite of a break occurring in a most inaccessible part of the plane. Hazen now claims to have heard a voice say, How many times must I tell you to follow instructions and refrain from taking on tasks that you are not qualified for? Demanded a stern voice. This is the proper procedure. After which another cable was severed and Hazen heard a musical twang. What if gremlins were real and existed today? Well, today there are so many more ways that a gremlin could terrorize any of us. First of all, they could hack our social media accounts and ruin our reputations. Wait, that already happens and those are called trolls? Or just someone you made mad? But maybe they are actually gremlins. These devious little creatures have a plethora of ways to cause destruction, with everything becoming more and more computerized. Just use your imagination. It's pretty scary when you think about it. As I sit here in my dark basement office and hear a thump and a rattle, I now wonder, is that the AC kicking on? Or am I not alone in this room anymore? Sky jumped when the doorbell rang, causing his cell phone to fall to the floor. He picked up the phone, stood, and walked across the room to the front door. He could see Jerry standing on the front step looking in through the frosted glass. Skye tried the door again, but it wouldn't budge, 
neither would the lock. I can't get the door open, he said to Jerry. Okay, just wait a minute, Jerry yelled back as if Skye couldn't hear him through the door. He was looking down at a tablet in his hand. Skye knew what he was trying to do, even though he couldn't make it out through the glass. After a few minutes, the door lock clicked, and Jerry was able to open it and come inside. Whoa, he exclaimed when he heard the music playing. I thought you were more into, you know, classical stuff like Mozart. And God, is it hot in here. That's the problem. Nothing is working like it's supposed to. Everything is going haywire. Sky almost whined and instantly felt ashamed. Millions of dollars worth of technology and it's all turning against me. Maybe you have a gremlin, Jerry joked, trying to lighten the mood. Don't be stupid, Sky snapped. Let's just get it fixed. He led Jerry to the control panel in the kitchen, but he was wondering just how close Jerry was to being right. Jerry got straight to work, and while Sky was watching over his shoulder, the doorbell rang again. This time it was animal control and a police officer. Come in, Sky said as welcomely as possible. He explained to them what he had heard and seen but left out the part where he thought it may be connected to what was going on with his house. He showed the animal control officer to the garage while the police officer took a short statement. Afterwards, he checked on the guy in the garage and found him crawling around on the floor looking behind shelves and underneath tables. After cracking a joke about this being below his pay grade, the police officer left. Skye went back in and checked on Jerry. I don't understand. Jerry was saying. None of this makes any sense. It looks like someone went in and manually changed the system, but the system is set up to keep unauthorized users out. We have the safest security system on our programs in existence. I'll have to shut the entire system down and then go back to the computer lab and reboot it. Just do whatever you have to do, Sky barked. Jerry was sliding his tablet into its case when they heard a commotion coming from the garage. Sounds like the cop found your critter, Jerry laughed. But then the sounds were joined by a scream of pain and some other strange sounds of struggle. Sky looked at Jerry before he opened the door to the garage and motioned for him to follow, not wanting to go alone. Slowly, he stepped through the door with Jerry right on his heels. At first, the garage seemed normal and quiet. Everything seemed in order but then they heard gurgling coming from the other side of the car. Jerry grabbed onto Skye's arm and held on tight as they quietly made their way around the car. Skye stopped suddenly, causing Jerry to run into him when he saw the officer laying on the floor with his throat ripped open. On top of him was a small creature, not much bigger than a toddler. It had green and gray skin, large red eyes, long pointy ears, and rows of jagged teeth, which it was using to chew up something that looked very much like an ear. Skye heard Jerry gasp as he released his arm and stumbled backwards. The sound got the creature's attention, and it looked up at him and growled. It stood at first, and then got down on all fours and shook its head. 
it was getting ready to charge them. Sky backed away slowly, and the creature followed him, matching his speed with every slight step. By the time he reached the door, Jerry was already gone. Sky backed through the door and watched as the creature approached him. And just as it jumped, he slammed the door shut and heard a loud thump from the other side as the creature crashed into it. Sky ran towards the front door where he found Jerry struggling to get it open. It's locked again, Jerry cried. I don't know how. The system was supposed to be shut down. We'll have to find another way out then, Sky stated as he went into survival mode. What was that thing? Jerry asked in terrified awe. But before Sky could answer, a vent in the ceiling crashed down to the floor and landed at his feet. They looked up, and as they did, they saw its face as it emerged and pounced right on top of Jerry's head. Jerry began screaming as the creature began clawing away at the skin on his face. Sky ran to grab the golf club still laying in the kitchen. By the time he returned, Jerry was laying on the floor motionless and covered in blood. Sky turned to the living room and searched for his cell phone. He had left it on the end table. He was sure of it, but it was gone. He tried the handle of the door again, still locked. He turned in every direction, trying to figure out what to do. Then he remembered the safe room built into the back of his closet. He could hide there and wait. Someone would eventually be looking for the animal control officer, or Jerry. He held the golf club in swing position and slowly made his way through the living room, watching all around him as he went. When he reached the door to the bedroom, the lights came on, and then music. No More Mr. Nice Guy by Megadeth was blaring through the house at an ungodly volume. He panicked and made a dash for the closet, but the door slammed shut before he could reach it. And standing there with a large toothy smile was the reptilian creature. Sky made a swing at it, and the club connected with its small body and sent it flying across the room, where it bounced off the wall and landed back on its feet like a demonic cat. He ran towards the bathroom but didn't have time to shut the door, so he jumped in the shower and shut the glass door behind him. He realized his mistake when the shower came on, at first raining down ice-cold water on him, soaking his robe. The water quickly began to heat up, and steam filled the shower and fogged over the glass enclosure. He was trying desperately to turn off the water with no luck when he heard creepy giggling. He looked down at the bottom of the shower door, and the ugly creature had its face pressed against the glass, with its tongue slithering all around. The hot water was becoming unbearable as it reached scalding level. Sky began screaming, trying desperately to get out of the water that was starting to blister his skin. Finally, he could take no more, and he pushed the shower door open with a force so strong that the glass shattered all over the floor. He stepped out, and the glass cut into his feet, causing him to fall. He landed on the floor with a thud that knocked the breath from his lungs. 
That little evil face was staring down at him, laughing. He waited for the blow that would take his life, for the claws or teeth to sink into his neck, but it didn't come. It just squatted and then reached out with its cold, leathery hand and patted him on the cheek. It then turned and ran from the bathroom. This thing was toying with him. Skye struggled to sit up and dug the glass out of his feet the best he could. He then made his way around the glass-covered floor, leaving a trail of bloody footprints. He walked through the bedroom, through the living room, and then into the kitchen. He had dropped the golf club at some point. He wasn't sure when, so he grabbed the biggest knife he could find. He slid it beneath his dripping robe, and as he did, every appliance in the house seemed to come to life at once. The microwave, the blender, the coffee maker, everything. He could hear the washer and dryer from the laundry room. He could hear the hair dryer in the bathroom. The noise of the appliances, combined with the music, weren't enough to drown out the laughter of this creature who was hiding in the house somewhere, waiting for him. He walked past the patio door that led outside to the backyard and pool. There was a word written in blood on the door. One word. Change. He checked the doors, not surprised that they were locked. He went to the living room and found the same word smeared across every area of bare wall. Change. 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 He made his way through the house, through every room. The one-word message was written everywhere. He made his way back through every bedroom, through the theater room, the second living area and every bathroom, before ending up back at the front door. He pulled the knife out when the music stopped. The appliances all died, and the lights went out. He hadn't realized until then that it was dark outside. Now he stood there in total darkness when suddenly he heard a click and the front door swung open. Before he could take a step, he saw the creature step out into the moonlight that was shining through the open door. It looked at him, squatted down, and growled one last time before darting off out the door and into the night. Sky limped through the door and was making his way down the steps when he saw blue lights coming up his driveway. He plopped down on the steps, exhausted, and waited. The police report later stated that eco-terrorists had attacked his home and entered with force. There were no suspects, and the case remains open to this day. Sky bought a new home, one that wasn't smart because it seemed like the smart thing to do. He changed his business methods and began to help people acquire and maintain jobs. He stopped listening to classical music and wearing suits. He volunteered at shelters and donated tons of money to help the jobless, homeless, and the environment. Sky knew what had happened that day. He knew what could happen if you became too wrapped up in making life easy 
instead of better. Skye knew that the only terrorist that had been in his home wasn't human. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the Oni, an evil Japanese demon with a propensity for murder. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.